Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Now Appalachia broadcast and distributed across the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network as we continue to feature and profile the outstanding authors with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their works. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us today. And I am so delighted to have a crime writer and former journalist Andrew Welsh Huggins with us today to talk to us about his brand new crime book, crime fiction, crime thriller story, and it is fantastic. It's terrific. It's called The End of the Road. And we're going to talk about that with him in just a few minutes. But uh, he joins us. He's a former reporter for the Associated Press. He is an editor and the editor of the Columbus Noir uh, crime thriller anthology. And he's also uh, the author of the outstanding Andy Hayes detective series, which was published first by Ohio University Press. The seventh book in that series, titled An Empty Grave, was nominated for a Seamus Award in the Best Original Paperback P.I. Novel category. Category, and that was chosen by the Private Eye Writers of America. So he's a he's an accomplished journalist. He's a terrific writer, and his new book is just as good as all of the things that have come before. And the title of it is "The End of the Road." So Andrew, welcome to Now Appalachia. So glad to have you with us today. Great to be here, Elliot. Thanks so much for having me on. My pleasure. I'm so glad to have you. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time because you've just been turning out some fantastic uh, crime fiction stories. We talked about the Andy Hayes um, detective series, which we'll get back to uh, in just a second, a little bit later on. I want to ask you about that series. But uh, first, the, the end of the road. I know you spent a lot of time as a reporter, as we mentioned, with the Associated Press uh, based there in Columbus. Um, what made you interested in writing crime fiction? So you did a lot of news reporting and, and that kind of work for the Associated Press. What made you decide, you know what, I want to I tackle writing crime fiction and crime thrillers. How, when, when did you determine that that was something you wanted to try? Because uh, you've done it and done it so well for a long time. Thanks, Elliot. <clears throat> well, to answer that question, I, you have to actually go back a long time. You know, I, I was reading Encyclopedia Brown and um, my my mom's Perry Mason paperbacks when I was like eight years old. And I've so I've always had an affinity for mysteries and crime fiction. Um, I have a, quite a number of unpublished stories that I wrote in the 1990s when I was still trying to figure out my way in the writing world. Uh, and it wasn't until um, living in, uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio, and I knew that I had, I always knew I wanted to write a private eye series, but it took me living in Columbus uh, for about 10 years before I realized, okay, I'm finally in the city where um, I'm going to live. Uh, we had moved around a lot and never stayed in one place too much, but Columbus really became home. And I realized um, it, da it slowly dawned on me that this is the city where I, I'm going to set my series. It's a, it's a great uh, it's a great city. It's a perfect city for a mystery series. Um, there, there's um, some other great series that have come out of Columbus since then, but at the time there weren't really any, there wasn't a lot of mystery fiction coming out of Columbus. So, um, you know, combine that with, so I'd always been interested in mystery writing, mystery reading, 
Um, I got my start as a, um, like most reporters, my first stint at a daily paper was in Bloomington, Indiana. And pretty much my first full-time gig was as the uh, police reporter, um, pretty tried and true path for young reporters. Um, I did that for three years. Um, this was definitely out of my wheelhouse. I didn't have some kind of gritty childhood growing up uh, on the streets of some big city. I grew up in upstate New York um, on nine acres and basically spent my childhood running around and then reading. But something about being a police reporter, I, I just was drawn to it. I was drawn to the um, the stories, the things I encountered. Um, you know, a lot of it was was ugly, but um, there's a lot of sort of heroicism. Um, I'm not talking just police, but people who who made it through pretty tough things. And one thing about police reporting, if, if you do it correctly and respectfully, you're able to have, you're able to tell the stories of people who have faced um, extraordinary events. And there was something about um, encountering those people, being able to tell their stories that I really liked. So that I'd say that sort of lit the fire under me as someone who was interested in, you know, true crime um, as a journalist. And when I finally made the switch or when I finally started writing mystery novels, I, I was able to draw on a lot of a lot of those experiences. Very good. Very good. And I love that um, all of your stories are, are very multi-layered and all of the characters are so important and all of the characters kind of intersect and come together. And so I wanted to ask you about a few of those characters. I feel like we can talk about this book probably for two hours because there's just so much going on and it's just so wonderful. And it's just right up uh, a, a mystery or a crime thrillers uh, alley in terms of some of the things that go on here. But the, the book opens up, we meet a man named Miles who's been out of the Mansfield Correctional Institution for less than a day. And then suddenly he gets shot on the street uh, and he's left on a ventilator. And then we meet another one of uh, someone close to him, uh, his girlfriend, Penny. Um, and she knows who shot him or she thinks she knows who shot him, but she's not telling the police when the detectives arrive at the hospital to kind of find out what's going on. She doesn't tell them uh, exactly what she knows. Can you talk a little bit about that, about why is she not willing to tell them what she knows and um, what is she trying to do? What kind of angle is she trying to work in that moment when she doesn't tell the detectives what she knows? Right. So, yeah, this, in some ways, this really is Penny's book. Um, and I should just in inject that the structure of this, of this novel is based very loosely on Homer's Odyssey. So in this case, Penny is my Penelope, um, but she she is very hurt uh, by what happened. She's obviously distraught that Miles, her boyfriend, was shot, but she's also angry at Miles because he he set out to do something without telling her. So she has a lot of conflicted emotions. But one thing she is absolutely determined about is that she does not want Miles to go back to prison if he lives. And key to that, uh, well, there's two things. They they share a they share a son um, who was who was born right after Miles went into prison. She doesn't want she doesn't want Mac to lose his father again. When Miles was found on the street, there was a gun near him, and she is um, she is worried that if police somehow connect the dots that he was trying to seek vengeance of his own on the guy who sent him to prison, 
that he's just going to end up being prosecuted. And so she makes the decision pretty reluctantly to to go after the bad guy herself. She does not want to involve the police because she she's she doesn't want them circling around miles any more than they have to. So the whole story is Penny's tough personal decision to go after Pryor, the bad, bad guy, by herself, um, which is there's probably nothing she'd rather do less, especially given Pryor's reputation, but she feels like it's the only course of action left to her. Yeah. And Pryor is such a such a, an amazing character. I mean, he's a true sociopath in every sense of the word when we think about someone displaying those characteristics and those qualities. And we learn um, later on that he's planning another bank job, another bank heist, which got him in trouble. Uh, he and he and Miles in trouble uh, early on, which led to all this this these problems and and Miles going to prison originally. Now he's planning a, an, another job. But I wanted to ask you about about writing a character like that, because he, even though he's sort of the, the main antagonist or one of the main antagonists of the story, he's very multi-layered and complex. And and how did you get inside uh, his mind as a character? And, and how do you get to that level as a writer where you really got to kind of step down and, and really get into the, the, the worst parts of someone's personality and really create kind of this, this nasty character, but at the same time, make him interesting enough that readers are going to kind of want to follow his story and his role in the story. How do you, how did you do that? How did you kind of get down to his level to create such a great character? Yeah. Pryor's a complicated guy, um, you know, and he has this, he has this, he has, he only has one eye, one working eye. So in quickly back to the Odyssey, he would be sort of my equivalent of the poly, polyphemus character, but he's, he's got this backstory, a uh, pretty brutal backstory about how he lost that eye as a kid. And that event sort of has imbued him with this burning rage. And I think that's what has created him as a as an evil character. Now, some people might channel that in a, in a different way, but Pryor basically grows up fast um, and uses that childhood event to fuel his anger at pretty much everyone. So, yeah, being inside Pryor's head could be a little bit difficult. Um, and I've been asked this before, and I think the main challenge was trying to try, trying to paint a little gray in there for prior um you know he's he, he's just a, a rage driven guy he's mad at what happened to him he's mad um that uh miles made the decision to testify against him at trial um prior was able to escape going to prison through another act of violence that we get into in a flashback um but the um the key thing i think was uh prior carries himself with this kind of brutal swagger well well deserved uh swagger with a, a reputation of viciousness and i i wanted to create someone like him to uh contrast with penny i mean penny's a kind of hard-bitten young woman herself she's grown up in a tough part of columbus but she's not a person who has necessarily the skills to go after a killer like prior. And I wanted to draw that comparison between the two that you have Penny who has this, um, she has this uh, mission of, of uh, revenge that she's decided to carry out, but she doesn't totally know how she's possibly going to do it. She just knows she's going to try. 
and she realizes she's going up against this just brutal thug, um, which I hope ratchets up the tension along the way. Well, there is one person we meet who has the ability, and I love that you said that about Penny because, yeah, she she is very much uh, sort of put in a position where she is is way over her head trying to trying to go after Pryor. But there is someone who could stand up to Pryor, and we meet him in that same Ohio town where we mentioned Pryor is planning that uh, bank robbery, another bank job, and that's Deputy J.P. Darby, who is just a, a terrific character. And when we meet him, one of the first things that we learn is that He's suffering from really the hazing of his super, super his superior and his supervisors. They're really, you know, really just putting him through the paces as being sort of the young cop on the beat. Why are they picking on him so much? And how does he kind of react to that? Because I think that sets forward a lot of what we learn about him uh, as a character and as a person. Why are they picking on him and how does he respond to that? Yeah, J- so JP is a, is a, uh, a deputy and we'll call it a fictional, a fictional county, um, uh, west of Columbus, everything that happens in this book, there are plenty of real places, but I did fictionalize the county that he works in. JP is, um, got his own demons. His father was the beloved sheriff of the county. His father died, um, in an on-duty accident and since his father's death, the division has kind of spiraled out of control. There's not very great cops running it. Um, he doesn't feel that he has the spine or the backbone to stand up. He's he's sort of he's sort of at a loss. He, he's a guy adrift. He 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 only ever wanted to be a police officer. He only ever wanted to follow in his father's footsteps and sort of at the moment that that all came into bloom he lost his father and so he like i said he's sort of adrift and he's going about his job trying to do the best trying to be a professional surrounded by a a bunch of people who are not very professional and he's very frustrated um but he doesn't know he does he simply doesn't know what to do he's he's you're right he's being bullied um and he he sort of um buries himself in his own thoughts um and uh his his bulwark um would be is his wife june um who is a a school teacher who um has his back at every turn but she herself isn't entirely sure how to get him to you know um show a little bit more backbone so so and i should add um JP works in a rural county west of Columbus. Penny lives in actually not in, in sort of my real life neighborhood um, in Columbus. That they would never have occasion to meet ever. And so one of the things that attracted me to this story was what would happen when both of them in totally different circumstances sort of find themselves coming up against prior the bad guy their paths cross and they have to work together Mm -hmm. yeah very good and there's that one scene in the book that just caught my attention when we're talking about jp being hazed and bullied where uh, his supervisor kind of makes a a dig or a swipe at, at at june 
just to kind of see if he'll get a rise, if he could get kind of JP angry or get him to sort of, you know, jump out of his skins, uh, so to speak. And so I just thought that was a really visceral moment where you see that just the kind of uh, the, the kind of bullying uh, uh, that he suffers, but not to give too much away, it does impact JP as he goes uh, further along uh, in the story. So we're speaking with uh, author Andrew Welsh Huggins today about his brand new crime thriller. It's called The End of the Road. He's a former reporter for the Associated Press in Ohio. He's the author also of the Andy Hayes Detective Series, and that one of those books in that series, An Empty Grave, was named uh, the best original PI novel by uh, the Private Eye Writers of America and also earned the Seamus Award. So, uh, Andrew, we'll come back to the book here in just a second. But I wanted to ask you a, a little bit about uh, you being a reporter and a writer. Um, who are some writers yourself that uh, that influence you? You've talked about uh, this book kind of paralleling or being parallel to uh Homer's The Odyssey. So obviously that book had an impact on you, but who are some other writers whose work influences you or that you turn to oftentimes when you're needing inspiration or ideas for work? Who are some of your favorites? Yeah, thanks. Great question. So, you know, I I sort of started out um, absorbing um, so many great private eye writers. So Robert B. Parker with his Spencer novels, um, Lauren Esselman with his Amos Walker uh, novel set in Detroit. Um, uh, Les Roberts um, from Cleveland, who um, created the great Milan Yakovich Private Eye series. Um, so those are all big influences. Um, I, tr you know, I try never to miss a book by Michael Connolly, the um, the great police procedural writer who created the Harry Bosch and Mickey Holler series. Um, I love Laura Lippman. Um, crime novelist whose uh, novels are set largely in Baltimore. Um, <clears throat> I'm a huge Walter Mosley fan. I think his um, Easy Rollins Private Eye series is honestly one of the greatest literary creations ever. Um, and um, sort of the list goes on. Karen Slaughter, um, if you know her, the thriller writer, she she's written... Um, a uh, procedural series about a Georgia Bureau of Investigation detective named Will Trent, but she also writes these unbelievably um, atmospheric, scary uh, standalone thrillers, which I think are, are just fantastic. She's been a huge influence on me. Um, I've just recently read the three Private Eye novels um, and the standalone novel by Steph Cha, um, who's a um, great uh, novelist living in uh, Los Angeles. And um, other than that, you know, I try to read as widely as possible, um, fiction and nonfiction. Um, not everything I read is a, is a mystery, although I definitely, I trend um, that way. Um, so I, I would say that that's sort of a quick overview of the kinds of people I read. Very good. And Mysterious Press published this book. How did you get in contact with them? How did you start working with them? And what was that experience like? Um, say that question again one more time, Elliot. Oh, sure thing. Uh, you worked with uh, Mysterious Press, or Mysterious Press uh, published this book. Uh, how did you get in contact with them? How did your all's relationship get established? Yeah, um, it's been a privilege to work with Mysterious Press. Um, I um, My previous books were published, as you mentioned, by Ohio University Press, and um, then Columbus Noir was published by Akashic Books. Um, I had known of Otto Penzler, the publisher of uh, 
Mysterious Press for some time. Um, I was fortunate enough um, two years ago that he anthologized a short story that I wrote in his um, best um, American mystery stories of the year anthology. And um, after that experience, I approached him about the end of the road and, um, you know, we came to an agreement and I signed a contract with, with him. And, um, you know, I should say the, that, Every every writer hopes that they have a you know a good editing experience, and I certainly did at Mysterious Press. And you know, Otto made some great suggestions um, that really improved the book. Um, and one of them that I always mention is that he he liked the character of June, JP's wife, but he said I needed to toughen her up a little bit. And it was a great suggestion. Um, I did a recast where I added a lot more layers to her, and in fact, I ended up. Um, this novel is told basically from the perspectives. It's third person limited. It's told from the perspectives of my of uh, Prior, Penny, and JP. But I did create one chapter just from June's perspective that helps tie a lot of things together. And that that was actually pretty late in the editing process. And honestly, that's one of my favorite chapters in the whole book. So I, I always cite that as an example of of how a good editor can really you know zero in on something the book needs and and help make it better. Very well said. Yeah, good editors are worth their weight in gold and then some for sure. That's no no doubt about that. And they make such a huge difference uh, for writers at all stages of the, the draft and revision and proofreading and editing process, uh, definitely. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, we talked about the Andy Hayes mystery series, which really got you kind of started down the road of uh, crime fiction writing. Tell us a little bit about Andy Hayes. Who is he? Uh, he's got some ties to the NFL, I understand, for from what I've read. Um, and he um, uh, has a lot of connections there to Ohio. So tell us a little bit about Andy Hayes and, and, and that mystery series and what's going on there. Yeah, thanks. So when I was in Columbus trying to figure out, I knew I wanted to write a Private Eyes series. Um, you know, Private Eyes typically um, are, you know, they're sort of fallen angels, wounded warriors. They've got some kind of backstory and it... Um, I was trying to figure out, well, what would be the back, what would be the like the baggage that a guy in Columbus would carry around? And I thought about making him an ex-cop. I thought about making him ex-military, but honestly, I didn't feel like I had the agency to do that. And um, I'll just tell a very quick story. In in 1998, um, the Ohio State football team was undefeated and they were heading towards the national championship. I, I had literally moved to Columbus that fall. Um, and um, on November 7th of 1998, they lost to Michigan State, not Michigan, but Michigan State. Now, as an outsider, I remember thinking, oh, well, it's too bad. You know, they're still 11 and one. Well, my God, the next day, the city, it was like uh, the Pope had died or something. I mean, the city was literally in mourning. <laughs> and um, it, was, it was at that moment that the the uh, impact of Buckeye football really hit home for me. So uh, fast forward, I created the character of Andy Hayes. He's a former Ohio State quarterback, former Cleveland Browns quarterback. He um, he's, he is leading, fictionally leading the Ohio State team to, to a national championship his senior year when he's arrested for some wrongdoing and he quickly becomes the most uh, hated person in Ohio sports history. So he carries us around. He has a very, very brief um, comeback with the Cleveland Browns, which he manages to completely blow. And then um, 
hits rock bottom, eventually rebuilds himself as an investigator in Columbus. He, he works for um, a former teammate who's now a, a prominent defense attorney. And um, so these are very much, on the one hand, these are very much in the guise of the kind of a traditional uh, private eye told in the first person, similar to, you know, Parker Spencer or um, Lauren Esselman's Amos Walker, um, Ross McDonald's Lou Archer, that kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't say they're, they're, they're certainly not comedy. I'd say they're, they're certainly a lot lighter than the end of the road. Um, and, you know, Andy's, Andy gets hired to do the traditional private eye things, find missing people, try to prove someone's innocence, find something. Um, and along the way, all kinds of crazy things happen. And um, part of his, part of his backstory. And one thing I like writing about is he's always trying to redeem his, his uh, youthful indiscretion. So he has two different sons by two different ex-wives and they, um, they make a lot of appearances in the books. I, I try to make the guy human so that sometimes he has to deal with childcare while he's on a case. Um, and a lot of people have told me they like that, that, um, that he's not just, you know, running around with no cares in the world. So yeah, he's, um, so there's been seven, seven books. And as you, as you said, the seventh book was uh, nominated for a Seamus award. I've also published a number of short stories about him and I've got more coming out um, hopefully this year. Uh, I have an eighth book on submission that uh, hopefully I have some good news about uh, soon. So yeah, he's, um, He's definitely my alter ego. Um, he's been married twice, engaged three times, had multiple girlfriends. Um, I've been married almost 40 years <laughs> to the same person. <laughs> so we're similar in some ways and not, not similar in other ways. Very good. It's a terrific series, and I would encourage folks to read it. Uh, start with book one and go all the way through. You will not be disappointed. It, it's just terrific, just terrific. And we're speaking with author Andrew Welsh Huggins today on Now Appalachia. The title of his brand new thriller is called The End of the Road. And so, uh, Andrew, we'll go back to the book uh, for just a second. It, you were touching on uh, on on a few things about um, you know adding layers and, and, and making uh, Andy Hayes and your Andy Hayes series seem more human and, and not and making it more than just the the crime and and, and the thriller aspect or the plot of the crime and the thriller. Um, I felt like you did that too really well with the end of the road because we've got a lot of the noirish elements that people like uh, in, in crime and, and thriller writing. But I also like that you work in some more uh, issues that I think uh, our society is grappling with today. Uh, you talk about the opioid epidemic that's featured in the book. Uh, sex trafficking is featured uh, as a theme in the book, you know, things that we are constantly hearing about in the news. And, you know, if you're from Appalachia, if you live in Appalachia, you know, the, the, the region continues to be ravaged by the opioid epidemic. I think it's getting better than it has been, but things were so bad for so long that, that any improvement's still not great, but uh, there are some improvements there, but you work a lot of those issues into the story. Uh, at what point did you decide to, to put those in? Was that something you knew going in you wanted to work into the story or is that just something that kind of evolved as 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 prior and penny are going on this uh this pursuit of one another and jp's worked in how how did those contemporary themes kind of get put into the story yeah great question well i would say in in especially with the case of the opioid epidemic references but also with the sex trafficking i will say 
those are two topics that I covered a as a reporter for the Associated Press. And you've said it exactly right. Um, um, <clears throat> Appalachia has been uh, crushed by the opioid epidemic. I mean, it, 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 it's criminal what happened. And I have, I was reporting on that, um, <clears throat> oh gosh, w way more than a decade ago when, when this was first coming into our consciousness. And I've done multiple stories on the people affected by the epidemic, on efforts to uh, try to help people, try to stop it. Um, and relatedly, um, I've, I've done a number of stories on, um, human trafficking in Columbus. Um, uh, there's a, a program called catch court in Columbus, which, um, is an innovative program created to, um, try to decriminalize, uh, prostitution. So women who are arrested for soliciting can can enter this program. And, you know, very often these women are as they're, victims in every sense of the word. So um, rather than charging them with a crime, they're they're given educational opportunities, counseling, uh, uh, drug addiction services. And in, anyway, through the course of covering that, I, you know, I was able to interview a number of traffic victims and social workers. So that's a long way of saying that those themes, I think, arose organically as I was writing. I, I certainly did not set out to make this a sort of social issues novel. Um, I, I really wanted to hopefully tell this entertaining story of a, of a woman on a, on a journey um, of redemption and vengeance. But um, as I was coming across these characters, um, these are issues that I know enough about, I think, that I think I was able to insert them, hopefully seamlessly and and that they add to the um they add to the narrative um and also you know they they raise um uncomfortable issues um you know i live on the west side of columbus which has um uh which is sort of the not not right in my neighborhood but near me is kind of the epicenter of human trafficking in in central ohio and certainly central ohio 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 kentucky west virginia has been just hammered by the opioid epidemic so i think all those things kind of came together as i was as i was writing this all right very good so andrew in our final moments with you today uh if anyone wants to get in contact with you to find out uh, more about your writing or your past projects or current projects in the pipeline where can they get in contact with you or how can they follow you and stay in contact with you and also where can they get copies of the end of the road um thanks Elliot. yeah so i usually Tell people go to my website, um, andrewwelshhuggins.com. I have tons of information there, um, including if you'd like, um, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is a very low impact newsletter. It comes out about once a month where I talk about books I've read and um, some of my events. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, AWH Columbus. And I'm also, uh, I have a professional Facebook page um, that you can find me on. And in terms of buying the end of the road, what I always encourage people to do is um, <clears throat> first seek out your independent bookstore near you. Many independent bookstores now um, will, you can order online from, from that bookstore. They'll actually mail the book to you. Um, so um, my, my suggestion um, is to seek out your independent bookstore, either in person uh, or online for copies of the end of the road. It is widely available that through that that route. 
Our guest today has been author Andrew Welsh Huggins. He is the author of the brand new crime fiction thriller novel that you're going to want to add to your to-be-read pile. It is called The End of the Road, featuring a variety of just terrific characters. Uh, Miles, as we've talked about prior, uh, Penny, JP, June, and so many others. It's a terrific, terrific book. Uh, he's also the author of the outstanding Andy Hayes detective series published by Ohio University Press, which I highly recommend you checking out. The End of the Road, published, as we mentioned, by Mysterious Press. Uh, and as uh, Andrew said a moment ago, you can get uh, really anywhere you like to buy books, but certainly check out your local independent bookstores because they do so much work for uh, local authors, regional authors, and national authors in terms of getting their work out there. So, Andrew, congratulations on this great new book. It's really a terrific read, really well done. And thanks for coming on the program. We appreciate the conversation. Thanks, Elliot. So good to talk to you. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. So as we finish up this episode of Now Appalachia, I want to take a moment to give a special shout out to the executive producer of our program. Her name is Pam Stack. She does so much behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible for you each and every time that we are on with a new interview. So thanks, Pam, for all the work that you do behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Well, that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.